Welcome, welcome, welcome. This is the Council's Connection. I am your host, Fabian Vicks, and on today's podcast, we're going to talk about that tradition unlike any other at this time of the year, master scheduling. Some tips that I've done over the past couple of years in scheduling and master schedule. It's not a lot of tips, it's just something simple to help alleviate some of the frustrations that you may or may not be having or the, that you will have in creating it. Beyond what you do, mass schedules probably already should have been selected back in March. But just some things that I'm doing when I'm looking at master schedule slash bell schedule. We also will have the National School Counselor of the Year, Laura Ross, on our podcast. Do not miss that. It's a great 25 minutes of of talking. So we've chopped it up for a good bit. Of course, housekeeper items and my final thought on education for next school year. Where are we going? What is it going to look like? Find out what I think about it. This part of the show, I say Lego. So we're at the end of the year now. Home stretch, um, literally the home stretch, and some people just thinking, "I just trying to get to the end of the year, man." For us counselors and administrators, we're trying to make sure we have things ready for next year. We're already looking ahead. That's part of being in leadership. Teachers are leaders, also. I'm not saying don't get me wrong when I say that, but. My personal leadership style, my personal style of learning and working, I look to next year. I don't even, this year, you know, it's already over. I could look back on things that worked, what didn't work, things I can improve on, things I did well, uh, things I want to do for next year, things I should have did this year, those type of things. Uh, for me personally, I can say before, you know, I've switched districts, you know, I, was, I presented at for uh, GADOE's new counselors in it to win it conference or presented there I vended for Scooter I presented at the Georgia PBIS conference this year um, this is a good good work this year went to, of course I went to ASCA last year in Boston uh, the year before I went to LA I hate that ASCA is going to be virtual this year but it's a necessary item that need to be done can't risk 3,000 school counselors health for a conference. I just don't see that. So I just hope that Seattle gets back in the rotation right after Atlanta because it's only fair because it's not their fault that a pandemic hit and they lost out on a conference. I hope they hope they get it back in 2024. Ask if you're listening. Please put them back in the rotation for the year after Atlanta. Vegas is already set. Then I believe Dallas, Dallas or Austin is after that is then Atlanta's 2023 I will be in Atlanta the whole world will be in Atlanta for conference uh, you we'll, we'll, I'll leave that for a final thought for in a couple years when we get to Atlanta what I think about that one or who's going to show up to that but going back to my my opening um, soliloquy 
we're anybody in leadership always look forward. We look back to see what worked or didn't work, and we don't spend a lot of time on it. But we always look forward. So for counselors and administrators right here, and this time this time of the year, are already tweaking their master schedule as far as how they want periods laid out, how they want uh, the teachers to um, the flow, and what teams they're gonna be on, and what's schedule what students are going to be scheduled at and schedule is is pretty much a second semester job when you look at it because that's something you don't want to carry into July because that's when you have a lot of new new registration you have some professional development that also comes in July late June July you have um, different conferences leadership um, leadership institute um, conferences anything like that a lot of those things fall right in that that time frame so you want to use this time for making sure your master schedule is prepping on a couple of tips that i've i've done over over the past couple of years as far as making sure i'm ready for the next year my first thing is collaboration always collaborate with your uh, special ed person in your building administrators and the other counselors make sure other counselor or counselors if you have more than two counselors there, your council department. Always have some type of feedback what will work in your um in your building and make sure it's it'll flow and you have full agreement on it. Second thing to do also for me, what I did for my grade level, because I'm I strictly deal with eighth grade. I mean of course the council is not there we can pick up the other grade, but the grade level that I'm responsible for is eighth grade. And try to make sure that your your master schedule is built around your special ed students, gifted and any students that need any type of remediation. So on my R master schedule for eighth grade, I've color coded the periods that will go for gifted. I color coded the sections for PEC or ESC. Also color coded the the pair support classes, so that way I know the class are pair support classes. So if I have a new enrolling student at special ed, I know where to put them at in those specific periods. Also, but give yourself room for room for error or room for growth. As far as master scheduling, because sometimes you you'll have a it's a growing population of special needs students that that move around. It's not their fault. It's just the circumstance they have. They move around, and you gotta be prepared to have those students in. Uh, you gotta have a, a section that possibly might open up. This um, might need an extra period for social studies. You might have to have another teacher pick up a, a pair support class for science. But those things. When you color code those areas, you know when to plot them at and the number of students that you have ready for that class. The third tip I learned also is take breaks from scheduling. Take some breaks. If you work on a schedule for an hour, an hour and a half, take 30 minutes to yourself. The schedule is not going to happen in one day unless it's already set up for you. Where you, feel you already know how you have it. It's going to be the same master schedule the same periods for us um, special needs students gifted students it just depends on on, the, on that population uh, my previous school we only had 13 gifted students on my grade level I have 35 in my new school so I have to make sure I have those segments have, an, have enough space for those students to get their gifted segments so take a break from creating it so that way you won't stress yourself out or get burnt out from scheduling and that way you won't be sharp or mentally fresh from what you're doing and my last tip that I have 
for, for um, master scheduling, always check it, check, recheck, recheck again, and recheck, and then check it one more time. Always make sure that when you plot those schedules for, let's say, gifted students, for, for what I'm doing, I'm scheduling those gifted students in those sections and locking their schedules in. So that way they're done. When I do my uh, special ed students, I'm doing their schedule. I'm locking it in so that way I don't have to worry about them. My RAP students, I don't have to worry about them too much because I, I can lay in their requests. And once those requests are laid in, when we run the schedule wizard, those, those classes will pop in their form. So that's not going to be an issue. But still check and make sure when you run the schedule, all the requests are put in that you have. You're going to have some requests that are not put in. Like some for this year, we did a uh, course request form for um, students and their connections. And there's some students that didn't turn it in, but that would be fine because we could just plug them in. And then when it hits next year, they could go ahead and uh, make, a, make a course request change. And then we could discuss what's the best option and what's open for them to take. Because, like I said, I'm going to have 441 eighth graders next year. So, there's, there's a lot of space for students to to take. And then we also have to take into account, we do a high school Spanish class. That's going to be in the connection section. So, you can have students taking high school connections for Spanish. So, that's going to be a small segment of students. So, some some another bonus tip the feed off of that you might have to open up a connection class that you weren't expected to open up you, you might have to open up like a music appreciation possibly uh, my previous school I did a um, I did a, a career class with 8th graders um, it was a small class because I knew what I could manage and that helped alleviate some of the students um, requests so that way if students that want to take the class, they, they learn some things about different careers and pathways and how to create a resume and how to interview for a job and that type of thing. So those are some things that, I, that I've done for, for um, making my master scheduling a little less hectic for me. Take it for what you want. Now we'll be right back with Laura Ross, our National School Council of the Year, right after this. Welcome to the Council Connection. I'm your host, Fabian Vix, and I have on the line our National School Council of the Year, Laura Ross from Gwinnett County. And Laura, how are you doing today? I am doing well. So how has uh, coronavirus been, the, what I'll say, the quarantine, how have you been handling it so far? Um, you know, it's been tricky. Um <laughs> I've told people, I was like, I've, I feel like I have, uh, am learning how to be a school counselor all over again <laughs> in this different environment. Um, but we've managed to, you know, put a few things in place and, and do this counseling virtually. It still has its, um, you know, barriers and to some of the things that we would normally do and, you know, um, but we're, we're managing and um, trying to keep in touch with our students as best we can. That's going to lead me to my first question. I want to ask you, do you see us being in person in the fall? 
is, do, do you think we have a hybrid model? Do you think we're just going to be virtual for the first semester? Do you think they're going to be all the way, all the way back in school in August? How do you how do you think you see it for this year for Georgia? You know, I know that you know in Gwinnett they have three proposals of what it could look like. Um, one, of course, is starting in August as normal, face to face. Um, I, oh, I, I don't know if I see that actually happening. Um, one is to post is to kind of push back and start after um, Labor Day and start face to face, and then of course there's always the starting virtually um, option. You know, I I don't know what I think it will look like. I I. It's hard for me to imagine that we will be in a spot where we can put that many people in one space together safely. Um, you know, ideally, yeah, that's the hope. But I don't, I don't know if we, we will see that. And, you know, we haven't talked about in our county a hybrid model, but I've heard a few people alluding to that. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if, if we would consider that as well. Um, but definitely, um, I definitely think that I, I think the least likely is, is us being face-to-face on time in August. I think we'll have to either do some virtual learning or, um, push back the start date. It would be nice for them to actually push the start date to September, but at the same time, these parents have had these kids since March and yeah, I, I, I think we'll, and I think that's a lot of the pushback will come from parents. So I to be believing or not, it's, it's not going to come from educators. I think it will come from parents. Like I had these kids for six months. I need them to get out of my house. I don't think, <laughs> I, I, but but at the same time, I think they're going to say at the same time, I want them out of my house, but I want them to be safe. Right. So I, I I I don't make those buddy decisions, but if it's me, I if we're both, we're both at middle schools, it was it was me. I think you could do sixth grade on one day, seventh grade one day, eighth grade, and then do online for two days a week. But then the mm-hmm. problem, the problem with that is the social distancing in the classroom. There's no way you could put some put borders in a classroom with thirty something students per class. I just that's the hard part. And I know there's some that are over thirty in our schools, and the classrooms aren't big enough to space out <laughs> that many students that way. So. I think that's the that's the tricky part about going back face to face would be how do we make sure it's safe for everyone. Now we're gonna we can still trend we're gonna transition from COVID nineteen. That's our our uh, dedicated segment. Uh, as far as this this pandemic going on, how we're also known as leaders also in school council. How how has school council shown their leadership? not just during this pandemic, but in a regular case scenario, how has school council have been visible as leaders to you? Yeah, or, I definitely have um, seen and, and myself and um, my counselors at my school really try to make sure that um, one, we're a part of those leadership groups in our school. So we are on our instructional leadership team. I'm a part of our local school council um, just so we have that voice and our perspective in, in all of those areas. But also, you know, there are things that school counselors are uniquely trained to do, and we have professional development that is 
different than what other folks in our school building have. And so there's always opportunities to kind of lead in our school um, about um, a variety of topics so that um, we're helping everybody in our school support our students. So, you know, being a leader and um, doing staff development for um, our teachers and other educators in the building around um, a variety of things. It can be, um, it can be about, um, you know, I know in our school we've done um, things about being culturally responsive and implicit bias, um, but also how to connect with students and engage students. Um, it can be something that I was thinking about coming up um, that we may need is just talking about some different um, things our students may be experiencing, like anxiety or depression and what that can look like and what that means for the student in the classroom. Um, but I know that, you know, there's been school counselors who, you know, find those things that are needed in their school um, and can lead in that way um, in, in being leaders and doing professional development and supporting staff in that way. Um, I think school counselors are leaders when we're advocating for students as well. Um, you know, we may have be privy to information that um, other folks, other teachers may not have or just know it, how something can impact a student um, in a way that maybe other educators don't know and not to any fault of their own. They just haven't had those um opportunities to be educated in that. So that's where the school counselor steps in and they can be a leader and kind of educate others into, you know, how something may impact the student, how trauma impacts a student, um, how anxiety impacts the student, whatever it is. Um, and so a lot of times when we're advocating, that's really leadership as well. Um, and, you know, of course there's folks who are leading in their district and in the state. And I think that's always, um, some wonderful opportunities for school counselors to kind of step in and, and be a part of um, sometimes in different groups, but sometimes it starts off with just leading as counselors, but then, you know, other people start to hear. And so you have the opportunity to be that counselor voice in other committees and other groups. Um, and I think that's a like huge benefit and a huge win for school counselors when, um, we may start off just leading in our district um, and supporting other school counselors, but when other people get wind of it and we can be a voice for school counseling, um, you know, to, in committees talking about discipline or academics um, and have that voice in there, that's a huge, huge win. Now, you, you did a perfect segue to academics and how can we in integrate our topics into like our core curriculum with our students as far as anxiety and testing, I'm guessing, or. Yeah, I think there's a variety of ways. Um, I always am on the lookout when I see stuff going on in my school or I hear about what different teachers are doing in their classrooms. I'm like, how can I tie in what I do with that? Uh, so sometimes it can be, you know, talking about testing and test anxiety and, um, we know our students are tested a lot, um, so that definitely may be something that some of our students need support in, but even things like at, at my school, we have a STEAM initiative, um, and so there's lots of STEAM activities, um, and we have a STEAM night, and the first thing that we did was tie in, um, we do a whole Reach Higher Week about post-secondary education awareness, 
So we did a reach higher, a STEAM reach higher for STEAM night and did a wall display and looked at different colleges. We had their QR codes up there to get to their websites, but we listed some of the STEAM majors um, that they have at their school. Um, and then, um, and I keep saying STEAM, um, so that for anybody who doesn't know, it's STEM the plus art. So ours includes art in there, so it's STEAM. Um, the other thing that I started doing for STEAM night is um, the perfect tie-in would be careers related to STEAM. So we have different um, sessions and people are doing different activities. And I do one um, called Back to the Future. And we do this fun little quiz and it helps them explore different careers and STEAM careers. And then they kind of backtrack that and look at, okay, now what colleges have majors that would tie into those careers? What high school plans of study would tie into um, that major? And then what are you learning now that links to that? Um, just to show them kind of that path of, you know, what they're learning now and how that can help them in the future, or how that's a step to the next thing to get to one of those STEAM careers. Um, we added a, a second one that um, counselors do, and really it's my peer leaders, so I kind of work with them and they lead the sessions um, of girl power and looking at um, women, past, present, um, who are in STEAM fields. And then we do a kind of photo booth for the future um, for our girls and they pick out careers and, and that they may be interested in STEAM fields. So um, definitely looking at things where you can tie in career education um, is a perfect um, way to tie into academics. Um, another great way is to look at social studies, language arts, and see what they're doing. Um, our language arts um, teams regularly do, they've changed their novels up this year. Um, one of the novels that they're doing, and I always forget the name of it, they started it this year, is, but it has to do with two friends um, who um, have a friendship that is tried during the civil rights movement. Um, and it's a perfect way to tie in um, our diversity and empathy lesson in counseling. So we can reference that, that book um, and kind of tie in with that. So it reinforces um, what they're learning in language arts, but also kind of ties into what we're, we're telling them. So it's not just a novel. We talk about the real world kind of application of it. Um, when I was an elementary school counselor, I tied a lot of my um, lessons into social studies because they studied specific um, people from history. Um, Thurgood Marshall, Eleanor Roosevelt. Um, and um, so we would tie lessons into that, um, you know, looking at making decisions. And we would talk about Thurgood Marshall, who was a Supreme Court justice, and we'd talk about decision making. And so it kind of reviewed or previewed what they were learning in social studies, but also kind of tied into the concepts that we wanted to teach um, and support them with in our counseling lessons. So I think if you just look for, kind of explore and see what your teachers are doing, um, you know, our, our, I know our language arts teachers in sixth grade do a lesson on, um, it's a language arts lesson about um, writing, um, but it's definitely one where you can't, it's argumentative, I guess, writing, um, but you can look at that and talk about perspective taking um, and empathy with school counseling. So um, I think it's just about getting creative and see where you can tie in a little bit. So it, it reinforces um, what they're doing academically. Teachers love that. Um, they're more likely to let you in their classroom. Um, and 
it also um, helps kind of get that hook and jog that memory of our students from what they've learned in the class and then tie it into um, not just what they're learning in class, but how it can be applied, you know, every day um, as, you know, students now and in the future. Okay. That's pretty cool. That's a lot of stuff. I might steal some of the <laughs> stuff that you just said. Yeah. <laughs> um, that's one thing about council. We we share, we we pillage and borrow, Absolutely. but give credit to who gave it to us too. So those out there listen, I'm not stealing, we're collaborating. Right. So we're collaborating. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um, got maybe two more questions for you. Right. And especially with this uncertain times we're going through right now, but I believe your school is a ramp school. Am I correct on yes. that? Can you give us a little bit of a description of how you built your comprehensive program at your school? Sure. So um, this is my sixth year at Five Forks. Um, I, when I started there, um, and I, I had to up at my previous school, and so I knew I, I definitely wanted to get it at Five Forks, but um, it took a while just for us to build a comprehensive program. So we had some program changes and just really looking at how are we supporting um, our student, all of our students. And so really worked on over the years, making sure we were proactive, we were reaching all students, which meant building our, you know, counseling lessons in the classroom so all students had them. So really building that program up. Um, and so we added many more. Um, building up our school-wide kind of programming initiatives to support all students. And then looking to see, you know, um, looking at our data. Uh, and really, that was the first thing I did um, when I came to Five Forks, really, is start to build our school data profile, um, which is a, a, a tool that you can use, ASCA provides, and just looking through um, the SLDS, which is that's the statewide longitudinal data um, system. Um, it'll give you years of data that you may need for your school and really looking at that um, and finding where our needs were, whether it was in, you know, discipline, um, whether it was in academics um, and looking at our enrollment compared to that, where are we seeing gaps, you know, where are things not aligning to our enrollment? Um, and so building that up and looking at that over the years and kind of practicing, uh, trying to figure out where, what the best way was to support our students. Um, and so that took some practice and tweaking and figuring out what was best and um, what did we need to do as far as supporting our students in small groups? Um, what did we need to do in professional development for our teachers in order to support our students? Um, you know, what did we need to implement individually for students who really needed um, more than what um, classroom and small group could give? Um, and so really building our program from the data and from a proactive stance. And so um, we now do six lessons throughout the year. Um, so six different topics for each grade level. Um, and it does take some time. Um, each month to get those done. But what we found is that it helps prevent some of the other issues that may come up because we're talking about coping strategies. We're talking about, you know, peer relations. 
Um, so we're giving them strategies and skills that may help them where it's not a constant need um, to come to the counselor for those because we're giving that those strategies and skills up front to everyone. Um, time management, things like that. And so um, making sure we have those in place and then really looking at the data and seeing, okay, so who are our other groups of students who need support or um, where else do we need to intervene and looking for those gaps to close. Um, and that's kind of how we, you know, started looking at the discipline of our black and brown um, boys and seeing where, you know, they, they make up a lot of our discipline referrals, but that's way off from the enrollment percentage of those students. And so, um, implementing small groups to support them, strengths-based groups, but also um, providing professional development for our staff and um, being culturally responsive um, in our connections and our teaching with students. And so we just kind of built from that. It, it takes some years um, to kind of just build the comprehensive program to a point that you're comfortable and you feel like you're doing um, the right work um, and then applying for RAMP. So I know some people have the goal for RAMP and I, I always just say, you know, you've got to have the comprehensive program first um, and that doesn't happen in one year or two years um, it's something you have to kind of build towards um, you can't implement everything in one year but you can get some you know proactive stuff going and then kind of build off of that um, each year um, and add all the components that you need to um, that you need to um, in order to um, get to that point where you have a comprehensive program. And I, and we have a comprehensive program, but we're still always changing and tweaking it. Um, and, you know, looking at what, is this what our students still need or not? Um, and, and changing that up a bit so that we make sure we're providing the best support for what our students need. Okay, uh, I got a follow up, one follow up before I get to my last yep. question on that. Do you, on your, on your needs assessment, do you just give it to the staff, students, all stakeholders, or you just give it to a specific demographic? We have not done a needs assessment. It's something we've pondered, you know, how we want to do that. Um, what we have done is looked at straight data, and then we have had conversations with our advisory council, which has administrators, teachers, community members, and parents to kind of use them as our sounding board um, to get the feedback on the direction we think we are headed and what, you know, where, where do they think we need to head? Do we need to change directions a little bit? Um, or do we just need to add a couple of detours here and there to make sure we're, you know, um, addressing all the needs. So that's really how we've, we've done it. Um, we've, we've played around with doing a needs assessment, but that's the hard thing is do we, we need to get, I don't know it's something that we need to give to all of our um, students. Um, and that's a very cumbersome task <laughs> to do. Um, so we've talked about going around with doing um, a needs assessment for, you know, a random, randomly selected group of students. Um, but we have not gotten there yet. We've mainly used just straight numbers data um, plus um our advisory council to give us kind of that observational and um, in-person feedback of, of where they have seen needs and what they have seen as a need. Okay, very good. 
Last question. This one's an easy one. You'll be able to answer this one. It's easy. <laughs> Since November, December, how does it feel to be the actual National School <laughs> Council of the Year? Back to back PSCOC. For folks that's listening, might not know what professional school council because we had Brian Coleman yep. last year. This year we had Laura Ross, and then she's in Georgia. So I feel great to have somebody from Georgia to win this thing. So, so since being named National School Council, how, how does it feel from the, when you found out to now? Um, I I think I've finally gotten used to it. <laughs> um, it definitely took a while. It just seems very unreal. Um, oh, sorry. My animals are They're excited also. Let me step into another <laughs> They've been good this whole time. I was very happy. But, um, so, yeah, I finally, you know, kind of gotten used to, um, yeah, school council of the year, which um, I will say it's, it's one of those things where, you know, we don't do this work for recognition, but um, with that recognition comes so many awesome opportunities to speak and um not just to other school counselors, but to um, other educators or legislators. I've had opportunity to do that a few times. And um, I think that's the part that I have um, really loved and um, the most, um, and has been the most rewarding because then I get to speak on behalf of school counselors and really kind of advocate and promote what we do and um, why we are needed and why more of us are needed and why, um, you know, we not only need more school counselors, but we need school counselors doing school counseling work um, and actually doing the work that we're supposed to do um, and the impact that we can make. And I think that's the big thing is really trying to show folks um, the impact that school counselors can make if we have the time to do what we are trained to do. And so, um, yeah, it's it's been busy and um, exciting, and I, you know, still being introduced to that still feels a little weird and strange. But um, I do appreciate the opportunities to kind of be a voice for school counselors, and that has been really cool. Laura, I want to thank you for taking the time out of your day to uh, spend on my podcast. I really do appreciate oh, it. Oh, you're welcome. It was fun. And also, I want to thank you also for those that's um, for the council in Georgia that's part of uh, GSCA. Check out the article, the interview that we did on um, on her building the comprehensive school council program. We did an article for the beacon for the spring yeah. issue. So check that issue out if you're a member of GSCA. If you're not a member, have a friend uh, screenshot screenshot it to you because I'm not going to send you the PDF for free. You got to be a <laughs> member. So uh, so uh, check GSCA. it out if you have it. All right. <laughs> Yeah, join. It's only it's only seventy dollars. Yeah. Seventy dollars to join. I mean, you get a lot of benefits. So you got to plug that in too for Maria before she goes out as the um, this year president. Jennifer takes over. All right, Laura. Thank you so much for joining me. I appreciate you. Absolutely. All right, and we'll be right back with more council connection right after this. This is the part of the podcast where we will be doing some housekeeping items. Of course. We can be followed on Anchor. You can be followed on Spotify, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Over Podcasts, Overcast, excuse me, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and of course Apple Podcasts. And you know, as I always say, 
Apple, if you're doing quality assurance, listening to podcasts, I need a new iPad. I need a new MacBook so I can record better with fidelity for my podcast. So if you want to drop by and mail me a, some equipment, you know, sponsor the show, I'll be greatly appreciated. Um, that's the part of the year we we should be getting ready for graduations and all the type of stuff, but COVID nineteen is flipped everything upside down. ASCA has also announced that we are not going to have an in-person conference. It's going to be pretty much virtual. So look to their website for more details on how to register for it and be ready for those details. Um, Still looking for great guests to come on our show, administrators, counselors, educators, anybody that want to talk about education and Talk about how they interact with councils, how they see councils in the building, and and our role, and how our role is vital to the success of all students and stakeholders. You know, stop on by. Of course, on my webpage, anchor.fm forward slash Fabian dash Vix. You can leave a uh, message, and we can, we will get back with you as far as if you want to drop a question on there or a comment. We'll we'll air it, and hopefully we'll be able to provide feedback and and collaborate in that manner also. Be back with my final thought after this. Fabe's final thought. So we've been home for 60 plus days maybe. Uh, For those counselors that are only on a teacher teacher um, calendar like 190 days your year will end in a couple weeks some counselors that are 205 or 220 or possibly 12 month count year 12 month employees we're going to be on that grind all the way through June and into July but there's so much uncertainty right now with will school start on time in August I know my district starts on August 3rd um, for this next school year my previous district actually pushed their start date back to August 10th for uh, for the next calendar. That's before COVID-19 hit. But what can we do right now as as educators and um, LOAs, LUAs, districts, uh, college and university systems, private schools, charter schools? What is what are some things that we can do? As you heard on my podcast with Ms. Ross, our National School Council of the Year. She's very tuned into a lot of things. And she's she's having some questions about when we'll start. And I'm a hopeless optimist. I'm a I'm someone that always looks for the the um, silver lining in everything. But this has me confused. I'm, this had me more confused than my um, microeconomics class my last year at Fort Valley State. That's how confused I am. I do not know when we're going back to physical school. As you can see, virtual school is, is tough. For those that are doing online degrees, that's they know it's a tough, tough job to do because you gotta be consistent and you gotta be disciplined and you got to know when to schedule and when to to divide your time and manage the time that you have for certain class assignments because you're taking four or five classes online and you gotta have dedicated time to make sure that you spend enough time for those classes and have the assignments completed. So Virtual learning is 
for, for my district, I mean now, Henry County, uh, teachers already have Google Classroom with counselors, so we have Google, a Google Classroom lessons, we have Google Meets, we have um, Teams, all that stuff. Problem is though, when you when you try to, it's not, none of this is any district's fault, this is a pandemic, nobody could control this, but when you try to shove two months of learning into an online world, it's difficult for anybody, students, parents, teachers, um, superintendents, state superintendents, counselors, registrars, because we don't know if students got to withdraw or new kids trying to enroll, but they can't enroll because there's nobody in the building. There's so many facets to to run in a building that we're not t- that nobody expected to happen so fast and in such an extended period of time. So the question now, where everybody's looking at. I say all this to say that, say I said all that to say this. Where do we go for 2021? I have the slightest idea. My my hopeless optimism is that somehow they fast track a cure. So that way the world can go back to, to it's not gonna be a, go back to the same thing, but it's gonna it's gonna earth is open today. Uh, the opposite line of Tony Stark in Infinity War. I'm sorry, Earth is closed today. It's a scene when um, Ebony Maw uh, came to Earth to get the uh, time stone from from uh, Doctor Strange. That's a movie reference. If you haven't seen Infinity War in game, wow, they'd be one of the few people who haven't seen it. But I'm digressing. What can districts do? To try to either flatten the curve or to have some semblance of some semblance of a, a school year next year. Some districts are talking about they're going to stay virtual. Some districts are talking about hybrid. Some talk about being full bore and opening up. I I honestly don't know what the right answer is. A hybrid model could work where you only have sixth grade students come on one day, possibly, or a couple days at the building there, the rest at home, but then you get in the logistics of busing and you had to run your bus drivers every day you you possibly put them in harm's way somewhat, you could do all virtual but students are going to possibly struggle with that because one they don't have, some students might not have internet some students might not have, have technology like a, a iPad or computer to even do the work now my district, Henry County, we all students have Chromebooks, some districts might not have have that available to their students. They might have to sign out laptops, but it still might not be enough. So you run into an issue of where, how can I still get my get my students on task with their standards versus the needs of the students? What they need might have might not have a, a laptop, computer, iPad, or internet, or both. They just have a phone, but the phone can only do so much because it's, the screen is so small you can't really type. Then you get into possibly benchmark testing, like uh, uh, Renaissance testing or map testing, where they need to find out where the students are at for the for the next year. How can you make sure students are not cheating online? This is this is um, this is open season for students to cheat, especially if they're AP students or IB students. They're high school possibly. They could, this is a grand opportunity for them to to cheat their way to to a higher grade without. Any type of um, supervision from their teachers or whatever. So there's so many layers to 
where we need to go next year or what can we do next year to make sure that we are ready for for business next year and that's something that we just we just don't know i'm an optimist and i don't even know what's going to happen next year um i don't know where 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 we're going to go for education I, i don't know and this hit us this hit us like a freight train and it's nobody's fault that we weren't ready for it for us from the education standpoint everything else I, that's not a podcast for any type of politics um I am truly scared for for next year what's gonna look like because there, there are talks that the state wants to take wants the districts to prepare as if they're taking a 14% decrease in their budgets which possibly means the positions might be either dissolved so furlough days are coming into play and furlough days are not fun for what I've heard uh, from teachers that had to deal with that in Bibb County a while back so possibly um, step freezes where if you're on a step four you'll stay there for the coming school year um, we don't know if millage rates um, are going to go down or go up or taxes being collected if those taxes are being collected this year to supplement for next year, but then you had to look at the following school year, what will happen there for, for COVID-19 for those taxes to be collected and covered for the following school year for 21, 21, 22. So there's, so this is a, really, when you look at it, this is possibly a three-year, three-year gap in, and keep our students educated that we did not foresee. I am I'm scared I am frustrated a little bit but I'm also still optimistic something can still happen don't let the things that don't let me distract you from from feeling the way you feel it I'm just asking questions because I don't know what's going to happen but we're built for this I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. I want to thank my guests for popping on here to talk about school counseling and, of course, of, you know, I always got to spend five minutes about COVID-19 since it's the new normal for right now. Um, this part of the show, I say we out. <laughs>